Interested in starting skills and training for yourself or your children? Contact skills coach Marissa B. Knox, who trains ages five and up on basketball skills, strength, speed, and agility drills based in Houston, Texas. Coach Knox, a former Cornell University point guard on the women's basketball team, believes hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Get started by going to her website at www.marissabknox.com. That's Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-A-B-K-N-O-X.com. And follow her Instagram at CoachMarissaB.Knox. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to you my guest for this episode, uh, Marissa Knox. How are you doing, Marissa? I'm good. How are you doing, Finest? Good, good, good. Um, so before we get into the main topic, uh, why don't you introduce yourself, kind of where you're from, and kind of how you got to the position you're in now? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, born and raised. I've lived there all of my life, and then... Uh, I went to school at Cornell University up in New York. So it was a, a big change, you know, for years. But I think it was the best decision we could have made. And then since then, I've been living in Houston uh, for the past, like, three years down here. Um, currently, I'm teaching. So I'm a, a middle school uh, social studies teacher at an all-girls school down here. And it's uh, one of the most rewarding experiences I probably have have been a part of just because I get to see young people grow and mold themselves um, each day. So I, I think that's been my, my, my journey so far from just moving around, but my passion is basketball. And I've been playing that since I was like young, since the age of three or four um, on my dad's hip as he coached my older brother and stuff. So I've always been around basketball. It's always been a part of who I am. And I definitely kind of use that as my tool throughout um, my schooling to kind of get me to places I wanted to go. Uh, and the funny thing is, like, I didn't go to college on a basketball scholarship. I actually went on an academic scholarship, but I loved the game so much that I actually walked on to uh, the basketball team at Cornell. So it's been a journey, but I think it's like that's what makes me uh, who I am. I think it's something that I can always say is like what grounds me is my work and um, you know, basketball and sports has really been that that glue for me. Right. I didn't know you were from Tennessee. Yeah. Um, yeah, Memphis. Yeah, you from Tennessee? Nashville. Ah, oh, Nashville. Okay, yeah. so you 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 rep in Nashville. Yeah. Um, I, I've been there a few times, but I kind of stay in my 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 stumping grounds. But Nashville's pretty cool. It's it's yeah yeah. We'll just leave it at that. It's pretty cool. <laughs> So um you said you mentioned that you uh walked on at Cornell. Uh what was your what was your personal experience being in, you know, collegiate basketball in terms of just playing college ball? Yeah, I mean, definitely like the 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 one common denominator is that like everybody works hard as a collegiate athlete and it's like really tough being a student athlete no matter what what school you're at, but I think it's a lot tougher at an Ivy League school. Um one because no one that's uh, a student athlete at an Ivy League school is on a uh, is on a like a student athlete scholarship, right? So they don't give out student athlete scholarships at Ivy League school. So um, anyone who is a collegiate athlete in a, in the Ivy League, you're basically saying like I love this sport so much that I'm a you know join this team and be a an athlete here 
without receiving any like financial assistance as like other student athletes at other D1 programs might. Um, and so I think that's like the, the, the cool thing about it because like everyone there is kind of like invested in the success of the program. Like everyone there is invested in the sport and like we're all kind of like in the thick of it together. Um, but I, I think it does like kind of create like, oh man, like I got to still go study. Like this isn't what's, I'm like, I'm, I'm paying out my own pocket to be here. Some people are like that. So right. it, it was kind of like that experience um, was a, was kind of the difference. But I think either way, like we, we worked every day. We were in the gym. We were, you know, in the weight room. We were conditioning. We were watching film. We were doing all these things that all the other programs do. Um, I think it's just like that, that, that student piece that made us different because at the end of the day, like we were there to get our education and like that is what, you know, we were sent to those schools to do. And basketball was kind of like secondary versus I think some other programs where you're, you're an athlete first and the student might come secondary, like definitely, definitely at Cornell. It was like, at the end of the day, like I'm here to get my degree and like, we have to make sure that we keep that in mind. So sometimes like we might end workouts early because people had to go study for finals or like, we had a, a final that night and, you know, we had to count, we had to like close practice early just so people can make it and like still be mentally prepared for it. So I think that was like the, the interesting thing that might've, you know, set us apart there. Um, but my experience just walking on, I think is like any other walk-ons experience, like you get there, you're not recruited by the, by the coaches. And then the coaches have the people that they've recruited who they like have invested in and, you're like coming in and like saying like, Hey, I can bring something to the program. And they're like, okay, so what, what exactly is that? And you kind of got to make your mark. You got to put in the work and like back up what you're saying so that people know that you're serious and that you're talented um, and that you, you know, actually bring some type of value to the program. So I think for me um, coming in, I didn't really know if I wanted to continue playing basketball. It was kind of like a crossroads for me. I had always played, my entire life but you you know I made that tough decision of like not becoming not taking a a athletic scholarship and um and and instead taking a a, um, a, just a regular academic scholarship to go to Cornell and I think for me it was like okay like I really did choose to be here as a as a student um but when I got there I was like I know I can compete I know I have like the skill set and the knowledge of the game to be um, to play at the collegiate level. And I know I, if I join this program, I can bring uh, some some value to it. So it was really just me like looking within myself and being like, hey, I can do this. I can join this program. I can, you know, be a part of this team. And, um, and I think the coaches saw that in me and that's why they allowed me to join. So that was like a blessing, just being able to, you know, say, hey, I'm a collegiate athlete. I've, you know, played at the D1 level, the highest level um, that one can play at. So... I think that yeah, was like great. It's a great. That's a great uh like backstory. You know, everybody has their story into making it to where they've made it. Um, what what was your what's your play style? Like, you know, slasher, mid race, <laughs> three point shooter. Yeah, I think for me, I've always been like the point guard. I've always been a point guard, so I think I would categorize myself more as like a you know maybe a Rondo or um, like a field general. Yeah, like a, like a CP3, like for me, it was never about, you know, like scoring or, you know, getting getting um the the points or the score box and looking at it. It was more like, hey, how many assists can I have a game? What is my turnover to assist ratio? It better be low. Like, 
why why am I having so many um, mistakes on the court? Like why why didn't my best player get the ball? Um, and it was like kind of just seeing that. I definitely was someone who was uh, more like trying to get everybody involved, but I definitely was someone who also knew people's strengths and weaknesses. Like I'm not gonna put a player into a bind that they're not comfortable with because I know like their playing style and what you know what their strengths are. So for me, I think it was just kind of like seeing that and being like that leader that can tell the difference, like who needs the ball when they need it, um, getting them the ball, you know, making sure people feel involved and like supported. And I think that's kind of carried over into my life as well. Good, good. That's what, that's pretty much all you can really ask for your point guards. I feel like that's the, that's kind of the trait you would look for in your point guard. Um, I mean, so, yeah. yeah. You got some Westbrooks out here though. <laughs> yeah. You do have the, Westbrook's one of my favorite players, so I don't want to say the wrong thing, but you do have those guys that are trying to average a triple-double kind of thing. Just, yeah. Uh, so you uh, you coach, is that correct? You do, like, uh, I guess um, some kind of sports development in basketball? Yeah, so um, I'm a skills um, and strength trainer for basketball as well as, like, a coach at the middle school that I teach at. So um, it's kind of like full circle now. I'm the, you know, when the student becomes the master. So right now that's kind of what I've been uh, doing basketball related is uh, coaching young girls um, and doing skills training and strength training on the side. So are there things that you've learned uh, from being in that position and uh, playing college ball to that you carry over into your coaching? Yeah. I mean, like, those four years at Cornell were, were cool um, and everything, but I think, like, a lot of my coaching experience comes from, like, all the coaches I had when I was younger. Um, like, my father, who coached me, like, he was my very first coach to, um, you know, being in middle school and having some great AAU coaches. Um, one of them actually just passed away, so um, her name was Coach Mays. She was, like, one of the, the pillars in my upbringing in the, uh, like, just a, she was a great coach. And so I think, like, those people – having great women coaches around me really made me who I am today. And so I think being consistent is the biggest key, making sure like if you say something, you you mean it, like, hey, if y'all have another turnover, we gonna run <laughs> these many laps. Right. And like, they make that turnover, all right, like we finna run. Like making sure people understand like, hey, I'm doing this not to be mean, but to get you better. Like if you're making mistakes in practice, you'll definitely make those same mistakes in games. And we gotta, find a way to get around that. So I think for me, it's just like being consistent, um, making sure that people know that I'm there to support them, that it's bigger than basketball, but like to definitely teach them like the this game can be used. It can be used to get you to where you want to go. It's a reason why this sport is, you know, one of the leading sports in the world, why, you know, people are making millions of dollars in it. Um, and like you can use what you're what you're doing in this game to take you to places that you might have never expected yourself to go and so I guess that's the like the where I'm coming from because I would have never thought you know playing basketball in high school I would have traveled to Hawaii I traveled to you know Arizona like some of the biggest basketball tournaments in the in the country in the world to to be real and I played against you know teams that I would have never expected to play against in high school like I played against the China national team when I was in high school like it was a lot of things I did and saw because of this game so I think like for me I'm really pushing kids to say hey this is bigger than basketball use this as a tool to you know take you places outside of where you're from 
and you can definitely like become something that you might have not have expected yourself to be based off like just playing the sport. So what's the what's the biggest problem you see? Obviously, aside from you know harping on the consistency, what's one of the biggest problems you see with like new clients? I think people just aren't used to you know working at something like I don't know when I when you learned it, um, but like you know it, no, no one ever gets it right the first time, and I think sometimes with kids and training, they're like they're used to like that um, quick like. I guess affirmation. Like, oh yeah, like I got it right the first time, and it's like, nah, this is like this is different. This isn't a PlayStation. This isn't right. you know your, your your Nintendo or whatever kids are playing nowadays. But you know, you got to really work at it. And I think that's like where you kind of see kids get like frustrated, or they might hit a wall. And like when they hit that wall the first time, it's like, whoo, we like when I first started training, I had my my first two clients cried after the training session and I was looking really? at myself like yo what did I just get myself into like what did I just do and like I'm like re recapping the workout that I did and I'm like I didn't do anything too drastic I mean I didn't push them too hard but it was really just like I mean that first time you really push yourself at something and it's tough and you know young kids aren't used to that and I think that's the amazing thing though with training is that once they do it the first time they're like all right man I ain't gonna cry next time I can do this. And then, like, you got the parents' support and you got, like, you know, my support behind them saying, like, hey, it's not that bad. Like, I know it was hard, but, like, that's the point of it. It's not supposed to be easy or everybody would do it. So right. I think, like, <laughs> for me, it's like, okay, I call my dad the next day. I'm like, hey, man, I trained some kids yesterday. He's like, did they cry? I'm like, yeah, they cry. But it's okay. It was the first time. So, <laughs> but, like, yeah. So I think, like, for me, it's like, hey, it's okay if you cry. It's like, but you know, why did you cry? It's like, oh, because it was tough. But, you know, then I asked that question, like, do you, do you want to do it again? And, like, every time it's like, yeah, I want to do it again. So, like, they bring them back. Their parents bring them back each time. Right. It, it's funny you say that because I've talked with a lot of younger guys that um, – I don't know if you knew, but I played um, football at the University of Missouri. Um, and so have, I've had a lot of people, like, guys, younger guys, especially from my high school, reach out, like, you know, how do you get to that level or I'll be sitting just in general watching maybe like an NBA game and those young kids, they see the end result. They see, you know, the guys performing, you know, it kind of looks easy when you see some guys in the NBA or stuff like that, it, they make it kind of look easy. So these young kids think they can just go out, you know, maybe put in a day or two and it's just going to come to them. It's like, no, no, like this is, it takes years and years of, waking up early morning workouts taking care of your body training train like some sometimes decades of training to get to that level but they don't see that yeah my my, my little brother's kind of he's in that stage because he's in high school he's in that stage where uh he he's trying to get to college d1 sports but i keep telling him the amount of work you have to put in is especially if you go to a school that's not that doesn't have the hype the amount of work you got to put in is ridiculous so i always try to you know that kind of mm -hmm. correlates to what you're saying about how you know they do it once and i feel like it kind of shocks them into like oh this is what it takes this sucks and might make them shed a tear or two yeah and like it's it's 
it's funny that you mentioned you played at uh, University of Missouri. I think I know a guy who walked on to that program not too long ago. Um, and I like, I'm, I'm sure you can vouch for it. Like, were you at M- Mizzou when um, they became part of the SEC? Yeah, I was there from 2014 to 2018. Okay, yeah. So you kind of know that, like, that transition, like the the skill level of the players that are on the team and then the program increased when y'all joined the SEC, like the the competition increased and everything. And I oh, think, yeah. like, my favorite quote is from Malcolm Gladwell, the author, um, and, like, in one of his books, he mentions, like, this um, theory of, like, the 10,000-hour rule. I don't know if you've heard of that. Oh, I haven't. But it's uh, basically Malcolm Gladwell is saying, like, if you practice a skill for 10,000 hours, you'll have a good chance of being an expert at it. And, like, I did the math, and I'm like, 10,000 hours, you know, a day, a week, a month, some years. Like, in the end, it's like, if you practice at something every day for 10 years, for, for about 10 years, like, you'll become an expert at it. And so he gives, like, all these examples of people who are experts in their field and like people who put endless hours into their craft, like, you know, Michael Jordan, Kobe. And like he was saying, like the common denominator of all these people who are considered experts is that like they put in the work, like you can't replace time. Time is that one thing that you don't get back. And so like, you got to maximize it. And I think like just taking the time to deliberately practice and practice correctly and practice your skill is like what he's trying to say in that rule that like, if you just, you know, bunker down and you put the 10,000 hours towards whatever it is you're gonna be an expert at it at the end of it so that's one of my favorite quotes for sure um so now getting into mm, i don't know what i'm trying to say but what's what's a what's benefit i guess it's more of like the advice section what's some benefits or if somebody was came up to you was like hey convince me to let my child start basketball early, what would be some like benefits or pros that you would say of starting basketball early that you would give to them? I think like for me, it would definitely be like just the, the health and relationship building pieces. Like as a teacher, I see it every day. Like kids need an outlet. Um, They need a healthy outlet. Like there's not a lot of options for, you know, certain groups of kids. Like I teach in a predominantly black and brown community. So my my school is 70% Hispanic, you know, 30% African-American. And in that space, like I see the kids not having like some outlets in order to, you know, express themselves and stuff. Um, and then like, just because of where they are, there's a lot of health concerns, you know, obesity, all these things. And so for me, it's always like, use this as like, a, just a way to get your kid active. Use it as a way for them to explore working and collaborating with the team. Use it as a way for them to improve, you know, their social, emotional health and well-being and becoming, like, better, well-rounded individuals um, in society. And, like, that's kind of how I approach it because, like, it's like I mentioned, it's bigger than just basketball. Like, if you – I'm not, you know, pushing kids to become, like, the next Lisa Leslie's and, you know, Skylar Dickens. I'm pushing them to become the best person they can be. And that starts with like, hey, just doing simple drills. That starts with, you know, running, being active, um, making sure you're eating right, make sure you are like learning the skills of perseverance, learning those skills of, um, you know, when you hit a wall, how do you get around it or how do you push through it? Like those things. And I think sports is like, it can mimic life. And I think that's why I would push basketball on them because like, it's not golf, it's not tennis. 
you have to work with people and that's how the world is. And I think that's why I would push, you know, the sport onto, onto them and saying, Hey, start early. So like your kid can be well-rounded in that sense. It's a great character building platform. That's how I like to look at it. Yeah, for sure. I think it definitely, you know, builds character. And like, I think also I would, I would push them to like try other sports other things like the the skills I teach in basketball can be used in a lot of different sports that's the cool thing about it like I remember when I took a break from basketball and started playing lacrosse and I was like dang like I kind of suck but I'm at least good on defense because I play basketball my whole life so I can at least like defend people on the lacrosse field and, and stuff and so these skills like can be transferred to anything like if I'm teaching footwork and agility you can go out and use that in ballet and dance like so that's kind of how I see it like don't don't think don't pigeonhole like oh she's only focusing on basketball it's like I'm teaching foundational skills to be successful in like whatever you do yeah speaking on that I actually had a coach um I actually had a coach that wanted us to play for I had a football coach he actually wanted us to play basketball because so I have a pretty extensive basketball background as well I've, I've been playing basketball since since I can remember um, and so I was, I liked basketball more and I was probably try. I was, my initial plan was collegiate, collegiate basketball. And I kind of got like, I just got peer pressured into playing football and that kind of just fell into how it fell into. But, um, my, my coach used to always say he likes his playing basketball because the same footwork you use in defense for basketball is the same footwork you use for press technique and man coverage. Cause I played defensive back. And so at the moment, it didn't hit me. I never really thought about it because, you know, I'm, it's two different sports. I just think whatever. But then when he, one day in practice, he was showing us how all you're doing is playing defense in basketball when you're in press technique and man coverage. You're, you're sliding your feet. You're using, your, your, you're using, you know, your hands. Well, minus the hands, but, you know, same kind of hand technique. And you're using your feet. You're sliding. You're shuffling. You're not, you know, crossing your hips. And that's when, you know, I kind of realized where a bunch of different tangibles, especially from basketball, can be used in almost any sport, especially from the footwork realm. It's yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah, footwork is one of those things that, like, is so important, especially for, I think, bigger um, athletes. Uh, you see, like, the best, like, centers or forwards in the league. Like, even though they're really, really tall, people are amazed by, like, their footwork and their abilities to like move around. So you got people like David Robinson and Tim Duncan, like the the best bigs that came in basketball. And like when you people teach kids like post moves, it's all about like footwork, pivoting, right. reverse pivoting, like facing a basket. Then what do you do? You still haven't taken a dribble yet. And it's all like just shaking the defender just by like moving your feet and like turning around and stuff. So I think that's like the cool thing about the sport. Now, what are the you kind of touched on it with the whole um, the movements in, in post-up game, but what, what are some, what are the best fundamental skills for a good foundation for basketball, especially for people that are trying to get their kids into it early, or maybe some coaches teaching um, a really young group. What are some good fundamentals uh, for a good foundation? Yeah, I think for me, like I'm one of them, 
I guess I would say I'm one of them coaches that you don't need to shoot until you you've mastered walking kind of thing. Like why, <laughs> oh, right. why walk before you can crawl, like take the necessary steps to build up. And I guess that's like the teacher in me as well. Like making sure I'm like scaffolding the, the information that I'm giving a kid. But for me, it's always like starting off with like, Hey, let's work on dribbling your hand eye coordination because this is a game where you got to catch and pass uh you got to like shoot at a, at a target you got to be able to move and pass on the go so like working on those like hand eye coordination drills um that's a lot of like ball handling tennis ball um catching and stuff as well um and then i would probably move towards more like um you know passing and dribbling drills and then uh add movement to that and then I guess like that footwork piece, just like ladder drills, um, working on like their agility, sliding, um, changing directions because that's all basketball is. It's like making defenders and stuff change directions. And I think uh, that defensive piece too, like making sure like we're clear on like, hey, you got to make sure you're sliding, what that looks like, um, proper technique. And I think lastly would be like scoring. Um, I think especially when you like younger kids, you can teach them like how to lay the ball up and stuff, but you know, they're developing, they're growing, their strength is changing. Uh, if you're teaching a five-year-old like how to shoot and they're not even on a 10 foot goal, like that's going to, you know, change as well. So I kind of, when it, when it's with younger kids, I, I don't really focus too much on like the scoring aspect. I just kind of focus on like the footwork, but I think at my middle school, when I had students who were in middle school and they were, you know, big enough and tall enough, and still learning the game for the first time, it was the same kind of expectations. Like, hey, we're going to start with the basics first and then move up into, you know, layup drills, um, how to score, uh, how to shoot, stuff like that. But I think that definitely comes later. Awesome. Some, some great uh, great tips. Make sure you guys are taking notes for all the listeners out there. Um, that's pretty much all I have on my end is uh, I'm going to open up the floor to you Anything you want to talk, shout out, personal motto, all that good stuff? Yeah, I mean, I guess right now for me, what I'm moving into is focusing on like a personal brand. Uh, the well-roundedness of like who I am and who I've become has been a big part of like, you know, sports and, and athletics, but as well as like academics. So I really pride myself on always being a student athlete. Um, even when I was in high school, like I was making sure like I was in the books that's how I was able to get to Cornell on my own basically so I think for me I want to push that into the students and the the clients that I, that I coach and I think for me the the biggest thing that I'm doing next is trying to find a way to use the the skills that I have to improve the communities that I'm in that I've that I live in that I work in and I think that's like the long-term goal for me is to get like a social entrepreneurial um venture that i can use to affect change in the spaces that i live and work in and for me like that really just comes all down to like my personal motto of love light and positivity like whatever i do i make sure that i'm putting love into it um and i think like in these stressful times sometimes people don't see the light at the end of the tunnel but i think through the work that i provide through the lives that i'm able to touch the the people who are changed, like people see that light, especially in communities that might have been looked over and like in people that might have been, you know, cast aside. So I think like that's why like that whole that light holds so true to me. And then like just positivity in the sense of like it is it's meant to be hard. 
um but like being optimistic about like the work that I do being optimistic about um the situations that I'm that I'm placed in and just having a positive outlook on like hey it's gonna get worse before it gets better but like I'm the work that I'm doing is is important and I think it'll have a positive impact on the the places that I'm that I'm in and the people that I that I work with and so I think that's that's my personal motto is like love light and positivity and that's kind of what keeps me going Fantastic. yeah hopefully you know a a year from now two years from now I'm on a major scale you know bringing um greatness back into communities um creating resources that can be sustainable Uh, I got some some ideas that I'm working on uh they're still kind of half-baked but I think you know it's something that can be extremely positive and useful in in these spaces that I see. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I hope it all works out for you. Sounds like you got a good plan going on. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see for sure. I think um, I think the biggest thing though is just being able to be agile and pivot. I might have had last month weren't the ideas that I had last year, and who knows what might happen you know, next year down the line. So I'm always being just agile and just staying true to like, hey, whatever is meant for me is going to come in my path. And I think I kind of push that on on others as well. Like, hey, just if it's meant for you, if it's your purpose, if it's your passion, just stay true to those things. And like the the work, the the success that you might find is in like the things you might least expect, but it's going to come your way. Just be on the lookout for it and stay grounded in like what's true to you. So. Now, have you been watching the NBA playoffs? Yeah, it's been interesting. Um, I think the bubble has made some people, you know, shine that people might not have expected. I think the bubble has created, like, an atmosphere where these guys are back in AAU basketball. Um, I think it's also, like, interesting. The bubble has probably um, put them in a space that they're not used to, um, especially with, like, their – that they're high-profile athletes. They're not used to being in, uh, like, basically, like, hotel rooms that aren't, like, multimillion-dollar hotels and stuff. Like, they're in, like, these basically resort rooms that, you know, people and families typically live in. So I think for them, like, the amenities that they have aren't – they're not used to. This is the the finals and stuff. And I think it's, like, a, a big change for them, especially some of these guys that have been – in the playoffs for like the past 15 years, like LeBron and stuff, who would have thought he would have been back in, in at Disney world doing the AAU circuit type of thing. So, um, and I think it's also like, a, I think people are starting to do articles on like the, the privilege that comes with being an NBA athlete versus an athlete overseas, which I think is really more so interesting because uh, these guys overseas, they constantly leave their families for weeks and months on end. Yeah. versus the guys in the bubble who are like I don't get to see my family like all these kind of things and then you got these guys who go overseas to play and they're like we do this all the time <laughs> I'm used to going overseas and like, these guys are like I'm used to going overseas and playing like I'm used to not seeing my my kids and my family for for long periods on end I'm used to turmoil going on in, in countries that I'm playing in that causes me not to get a check like all these kind of things that I don't I don't think NBA athletes might be aware of or have to deal with so I think that's like a conversation that's constantly being sparked nowadays um who's your favorite who's your favorite all-time player who's your favorite current player if they're if that would if that's different yeah I mean it's tough 
I guess to say that. Um, I don't know. An all-time player? I, I don't know if I have one because it's like it would just depend. But I think one of my favorites has always been Ray Allen. Um, okay. Back when he was Jesus Shuttlesworth. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the Ray Ray I like. But with Ray, I think it's like when he played at the Sonics, he was, you know, he was great. Like he was at the top of his game. He was in his prime, but he was just on a team that wasn't as, um, you know, successful. But like he had all the skill sets. He was like dunking. He was one of the quickest people out there. And then like he went to the Celtics. I think people realize like, oh, like okay, now he's just a three point shooter. So I think people our age kind of view him as like that Celtics Heat type player where all he did was shoot threes. But I'm like, shoot y'all threes, don't yes. know. Yeah, he used to be a Jesus monster. Shuttlesworth, though. <laughs> he, yeah, he used to be dunking on people. People don't know that he was a monster. Yeah, and so for me, I like that versatility because in order for you to play in the league that long, you gotta, you know, make some changes. The same way with um, Vince Carter, like he been he was in the league like what 17, 20, 20 years. <laughs> twenty, I think he had his twenty second or twenty third season. It was this past season, right? And he technically he, he probably would have kept playing if it wasn't for the pandemic. And what's crazy is that like you got to know how to transition, and that's with anything in life. And I think that's the cool thing about players like um, Ray Allen and um, Vince Carter. You got to be agile. You got to be able to change, especially when you got these when the game changes around you. The NBA has changed so much since they were playing, since they first got into the league. Um, so their playing styles changed with the league, and that's how they're able to sustain themselves and be um, still competitive within the space. Like, they're not bench riders. They're players that are getting substantial PT time, and, like, it's all because they changed their game, and they're, like, they're that old uncle when you go to the rec that just shoots threes and, <laughs> and knows yeah. their role, and that's all that you can count on. Like, you, you need a player like that. So I think that's the cool thing why I like players like that is that, like, they did their time. They they like were agile. They changed with the game, and like now they're gonna go down as like, you know, all stars and in in the books and stuff. So now, who do you have in the finals? Um, I had to go with the Lakers. Go ahead and put them down as the the winners. I just think uh, the bubble is really nice to LeBron, um, and. I think it's probably the best opportunity he could have had this year for winning a championship is just being in the bubble and like people getting hurt and injured and the season being cut a little bit short for some folks. So I think for him, like this bubble is probably the best thing that could have happened for his legacy right now um, and winning one with the Lakers. So if they don't win in the bubble, I would be shocked because I'm looking around like, okay, who is going to beat them? And I don't know, like I thought it was going to be Giannis. In the book, no, but they get they get cast out by the my heat. heat. <laughs> Look, the Heat is my team. Now, don't get me wrong; I want Lakers to win. I'm a huge LeBron fan. He's my second all-time favorite player behind Carmelo Anthony. So obviously, I want him to win because he's in the best position. But I am a huge fan of Jimmy Butler, and I'm becoming a fan of Tyler Hero. And I love the Heat as a team. I I called this me and my buddy. Uh, we have a podcast we do on Monday nights. Uh, we called it that the Heat were going to beat Milwaukee. You can quote us live. You know, people thought we were crazy. They almost swept Milwaukee. So I need the Heat. I think the finals would be Lakers and Heat, which I want it to be the Heat so bad. But the Celtics are looking pretty good. 
Jason Tatum is balling with uh, Kimba and, and Jalen Brown. But I want to be Lakers and Heat. And then after that, I, I would be happy if Lakers win. I would be happy if the Heat win. It would be a win-win for me. Um, I'm going to be really shocked if the Heat win. It's just I think they – I will they, too. I think they got lucky and they hit no, the Bucks no. in the mouth early and the Bucks didn't know how to respond because they're a young team with no playoff experience. They made it they made it to the finals last year with pretty much the same team. The Heat and, I mean, well, no, yep. the, the the Bucks. And oh. I don't I don't know, you know, a lot of people say it's luck, but is it luck if you win best out of 5 or best out of 7? Is unconventional circumstances. So I'm gonna say you're yes. You're right. You're right. The bubble. The bubble is because <laughs> there's no home court advantage. Yes, that 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 does that does make a difference. I get I get with I get that, but still, that Miami team, Jimmy buckets. Yeah, he's good. I'm gonna give. I mean, yeah, that's a great team. That's a great team. They're well coached. They got a coach who won like what two titles with the best player uh, in the league. So they they have the. The skill set, they have the coaching behind them. Uh, so they're going to go far. I'm just, like, thinking. I think they just – at the end of the day, though, I think they just – they lucked out and they smacked the, the, the books in the mouth. Yeah. yeah. And, like, it was like, oh, they didn't know what to do. And, like, when your best player doesn't know how to respond, when the two-time MVP doesn't know how to respond, and, like, yeah, the whole team is going to buckle. So. True. And I, he did get hurt. He did get hurt. Hurt. So. Hurt. You think he was really hurt? Giannis, did you not see it? Oh, it looked terrible. I thought he I thought he uh broke his ankle. It was, like, it was bad. Sprain. It was just a sprain. No, the, the first one was a simple sprain. Then the, the game, the, the next game after that, he was playing on a sprained ankle and re-rolled it and it went almost completely sideways. And you know, when it's already sprained and you hit it again like that. It just makes it work. I think he should have waited, but he basically played hurt and made it worse. And it looked like he was going to need surgery, which I hope he doesn't. But it, it didn't look good. I'm sure his foot swelled up tremendously, but probably so. I'm coming from the era of like players being you're yeah, like playing on injuries, probably more crazy than that twisted ankle i know i played through some bad twisted ankles so that's why i'm kind of like a twisted ankle really i don't know i think uh, it, it depends it depends yeah. on the person because and, yeah. and he's also he's seven feet tall so those joints are a lot more compromised for taller people than people that are shorter so you know especially him being that tall you talking about your ankle supports your entire body and that ankle has to support seven feet of the Greek freak. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I get that. Yeah. Size 37 shoe or whatever it is. But... <laughs> I'm still surprised your heat let them get one. So that's why I uh, think like it's that's why I'm was... like, I'm not all in on the heat because you still let a team without the star player win a game on you. That's the, that should have been an easy sweep. They didn't have a monster. They, yeah, they should have. Yeah, they should have won, especially when Giannis didn't finish the game. They should have won. But what I will say is I feel like that was more of a game-planning problem because when the best player goes down, when you literally you structure your entire game-plan defense around Giannis, right? He goes down. Now you're like, okay, now we just got to play 
regular defense were straight. No, no, no. Chris Middleton is is still he's still a, a star player. Eric Bledsoe can still get buckets. So at that point, it's like, okay, we didn't game plan for these dudes to go off. And it's kind of like a okay, they got one on us kind of thing, even though they still should have won. But the Bucks are still a solid, they're a decent team without Giannis. Because the offense, it's a different offense completely. It's more of a traditional pick and roll, five out, one in with uh, Lopez. It's a it's a legit offense instead of just bully ball with Giannis. Yeah, but Giannis, Giannis think he, he's going there like, like he's a, uh, what's that guy's Wilt Chamberlain, that's kind of what Giannis reminds me of. Just long and lanky, Wilt Chamberlain just dunking on everybody. <laughs> Yeah, but I think the Bucks are going to freak out and start trading everybody, and they're just going to end up rebuilding. I heard supposedly he unfollowed all his teammates. I don't yeah, know if that's I, true or not, but that's what I heard. Well, I saw it on a credible uh, source that I follow, and he also met with management and the owner of the team, um, I believe, a few days ago. So it's not looking good for the for the Bucks. And that's crazy because I think earlier this week they said he – um, he was like, he doesn't want to leave. That's taking the easy way out. But then, like, he does all these things. So I'm like, I don't know. You know, it maybe. might be some like the back office kind of stuff. Like, oh, I don't want to leave, and they're just like, well, you might have to because we are planning on doing some stuff, kind of thing. And now he's like, oh, well, I might have to leave then. Because I heard Eric Bled, I heard Eric Bledsoe's in the trade spot. I think they plan on keeping Chris Middleton, but I also heard. Uh, OKC is willing to trade Chris Paul to the Bucks, so I think the Bucks might end up trying to get Chris Paul and uh, for for Eric Bledsoe and probably some other stuff. But that wouldn't be too bad if with Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Chris Paul. But we'll see. Yeah. So have you seen this uh, whole debate on like uh, Giannis is Pippen looking for his Jordan? I'm I'm not a fan of that comparison. Like I get what they're saying, you know he needs he needs that guy that's that's you know he needs his Jordan, but then I don't I don't see him as a pimpin a Scott a Scotty pimpin I I don't like that comparison because I just don't like that comparison because he is like if you he is the Jordan of his team to be honest because think about Jordan would I don't think Jordan would have done what he did without Scotty. So you can still be your Jordan, need your Scotty. It, you know, it doesn't have to be a Scotty needing a Jordan kind of thing. But I don't like comparisons like that in general. But Yeah, I think I like the the comparison. He's a Shaq looking for his Kobe. I think I like that yeah. one a little bit better. Yeah, I like that a little better just because position-wise. But I don't know. I don't, honestly, do you think he'll win MVP this year? I think so. I think they've already made their predictions and stuff and based off their record and just kind of like how he dominated the year, I think that he's going to win. I don't think he should win, but, you know, that's another story. But I think they already picked their guy. And once they pick their guy, they're kind of all in. But I do support their rookie of the year decision. Shout out to John Morant. Oh, yeah. The Grizzlies, the home team. He's a perfect fit for us. I think he gonna. I hopefully he stays and like has a, a a strong career like we had with you know the grit and grind era with Mike Conley, Paul, and yeah. Zebo, yeah. yeah, and everybody. So hopefully they just finally put some people around him. I mean they made it to the playoffs, but I think they just need more older guys, like more guys with experience. 
and not like no Parson Chandler type folks. Like, <laughs> give us some right. real hoopers, please, and thank you. <laughs> yeah, Memphis will figure it out. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Memphis fan by default because I, I will support any team that's from Tennessee, pretty much. I found out Tennessee Nashville's got a soccer club, a professional soccer league, a major league soccer club. I found out yesterday, so I've been all over. I, I'm about to. I've already bought jerseys for the soccer team just because I'm, ten, I'm Tennessee born and raised, so I'm all about it. See that? I think that's the funny thing. Like when you from Memphis, we don't really be claiming Tennessee. I know. I don't know why y'all. <laughs> so you you like. You repping anything Tennessee? I'm like, uh, Any nah, and everything. Man, that's not us. Like when it's Memphis versus U- University of Tennessee, is always Memphis. Like when it's if it's the Titans versus someone else, is probably someone else. Like what? <laughs> we, we we not really all in on on the rest of the state. I don't know what it is. I get uh-huh. I get if y'all like that with Knoxville. I understand if y'all being like that with Knoxville, but Nashville, we neutral. Nashville, we love everybody. I mean, I don't know about all of that, but I think like for us, it's just kind of like we're on. Is the culture, the climate, the energy is just a lot different on in West Tennessee from the rest of the state. Yeah, um, yeah, I can and I feel think that. it's it's like a lot of different reasons. Like it could be racial, it can be economics, it can be a lot of different things. But I just think the culture that made Memphis what it is is a lot different from the rest of the state. But I think Nashville, Middle Tennessee, and East Tennessee are more culturally similar than Memphis. And so I think oh, yeah, that's sure, why it's sure. easier for, like, people from Nashville to, like, be more, like, all in on the state of Tennessee. And then, like, for Memphis folks to be like, nah, we kind of feeling like outsiders right now. Um, so I think that's my why it, it might it's, be worth it. It's changing, though. Nashville's becoming diverse. Not it's not as it's not Memphis, but it's it's astronomically better from when I was growing up. For yeah, sure, but yeah, they're putting a lot of money into it. I think um, one of my things I like researching is the the housing market, the flipping market in Nashville, and how it's like one of the the highest ones right now. It's a big sellers market right now, and I think that means like people are constantly coming in, uh, trying to like buy these renovated homes, these homes that people have flipped. And, like, I kind of watched the, I think it's an HGTV couple, uh, a black HGTV couple that does, like, um, a flip show. Oh, I, I know what you're talking about. And it's just, like, really interesting and intriguing. And I think Memphis is next, um, especially, like, we just have all the resources already in place. We already have the companies in place. And so if, if Amazon is going to put a huge facility in Memphis for their logistics, they're going to need, you know, houses and homes for their for their employees, so that's kind of how I how I view they, it. Sir. They're planning on putting a distribution center out there. It's already one out there. I oh, think they're just real? they're thinking about building a bigger one or um, expanding. I mean, if you're if you're any if you're in logistics, if you are a company that does anything, for the most part, you have some type of building or um, you know location in Memphis. So I know like Hilton randomly has a a headquarters in Memphis, uh, FedEx is in Memphis, UPS, like most of the Fortune 500 companies, Mectronics, um, Cummins, I can go on and on, Service Master, AutoZone is headquartered in Memphis. Like, really? All the places, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so we already have like the, the, the companies there. Um, we already have the community there. I just think it's like creating like a, um, a space where we can like really bring people in. I think that's what like is going to be 
changing towards. I think with Nashville, y'all had such like a country music presence, such a big presence with like the music industry that yeah. people started to want to come and live there and visit there. And I think that's what Memphis is trying to move towards next. It's like, okay, how can we get more people to come, want to move here and visit here and stuff and see themselves in this space? I might, I'm, we might need, Nashville might need to send y'all some people because it's low key getting ridiculous. You can't go nowhere. No, you can't go nowhere. The traffic is start, it's starting to get like, like bad as like, I've never been to LA, but I hear the traffic is like, it's starting to get like really bad in terms of just like a giant, like your stereotypical bumper to bumper, like yeah. for mile track. It's, it's getting terrible. I'm going to let y'all have it, okay? I'm cool. I got to deal with that already in Houston. And so I get, like, big metropolitan areas like Houston, Atlanta, Nashville. That's what comes with it. Like, when you start annexing everything and wanting it to be a part of a city, that's what you get with it. Like, you get all the traffic and stuff. So I'm sure they're going to start doing a whole bunch of construction, and that's going to be the next big head y'all up there. But... I'm cool how, oh, how yeah. medium start, small start. Memphis is. <laughs> we a medium large city. That's why I, that's why I like to call us. So we don't kind of get that that much headache with the traffic and stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, that's uh, that's all I got on my end. Is there anything you want to harp on before we close it out? I mean, I guess like the last thing I'll just say is that like when whatever you do in life. For me, um, for my brand, I think, like, the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway I always tell people is that, like, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And you can take that into whatever field you do. If it's the podcasting field, um, finance, if it's the, you know, teaching field, like, if you don't put in that right. work, that those 10,000 hours, then, like, obviously you're not going to be be good. But, I mean, some people try to just get off by just their God-given talent. But that worker, that person that's always putting in that work would always be the talented person if that talented person isn't, you know, putting in the the skills to to get better every day. So that's my little last little thing that I'm gonna say. But thank you so much for having me on the on the show today. Uh hopefully you can have me back maybe the next segment we talk about something else. I'm a woman of, of trades, a renaissance person. So maybe the next thing you talk about could be some uh, totally different from sports and stuff. So just let me know. I'll be happy to come back and speak to the to the fans out here. Oh, for sure. We can definitely get something set up. I love having people on just just to talk. Uh, uh, I'm gonna hit your little your, the little spiel for you, and I'll also edit it, and I'll, I'm gonna put it in the beginning too. Okay. Uh, but interested in starting skill and train skills and training for yourself and your or your children? Contact skills coach Marissa B. Knox, who trains ages five and up on basketball skills, strength, speed, agility drills, and Houston, Texas. Coach Knox, a former Cornell University point guard on the women's basketball team, believes hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Get started by going to her website, www.marissabknox.com. That's Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-A-B-K-N-O-X.com. And follow her on Instagram at coachmarissab.knox. Instagram. Awesome. Fantastic. That was some great stuff. I, again, appreciate you for hopping on. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Signing off. We'll see you on the next episode. Peace.